This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Wear. Chris, I saw this with my very own eyes yesterday, and it got me so excited. The strawberries are in, baby. The the beautiful red, glossy strawberries? Oh, yeah. When, when I moved to, uh, to Portland seven years ago almost, I grew up in a town where we have strawberry days, and mm-hmm. the strawberries we had there were always imported from Mexico. Yeah, well, you would never go back and be able to eat no, those No, once this. you have an Oregon strawberry, it's life-changing, and the best place to get it is Zupan's Markets. And they source theirs from Savvy Island. Yeah, oh, yeah. So... Uh, you, you walk in and you and you can just oh there's I, I, my I was, I was salivating looking at these strawberries yesterday. All right, you can finish this because I'm on my way to Zupans right now. Yeah, uh, right now. yeah. Visit Zupans.com and you can actually find delicious recipes on how to use these Columbia Farm strawberries, which is the farm where they are on Sovie Island. That's beautiful. Yeah. Also, another thing I wasn't even aware of: who doesn't love Saint Honoré Bakery? Oh yeah, and they are now carrying their baked goods. Uh, Eclairs, gâteaux, macarons, uh, in the K case, or their, of course, their croissants are great. Um, everything from Saint Honoré is now, not everything, but lots of them, at uh, at Zupans as well. And of course, don't forget the big dinners in the Breezeway. Those tickets are selling out fast. They're inclusive four course alfresco dining at the Lake Grove Store Breezeway. If you've never been out to that Breezeway. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. And they do have a heater there if it gets a little cool, cooler sure, if at it's night. too breezy. Yeah, heaters. Anyway, there's one coming up this Saturday. That's June 10th featuring Provençal Bouillabaisse and Spring Lamb. You can go to zupans.com slash big dinners for tickets and information. One more thing I want to mention. We okay. have two new listeners oh. coming about. Well, it's going to take a little while, Court. But right. um, a shout out goes out to Eleanor at Zupans who had her baby uh, a few weeks ago. Congrats. And as far as we heard, still waiting to hear from her, but the name is Pending. Mm. And uh, as Mel at Zupans told us, that was kind of had a nice ring to it, Pending. Mm-hmm. Um, also, at Standard TV and Appliance, our friends Matt and Courtney had a little baby girl, Avery. Very nice. Mo- recently, too. So we have two new listeners in about, what, 20 years, you think? court right um and also i wanted to give a little shout out to uh, lily at northwest medical she was so kind to say hi and i want to say hi back Once again, for Portland's Food Scene Podcast, we call it Right at the Fork with your hosts, Chris Angelus from uh, Portland Food Adventures. And Court Johnson from the radio. Yes, from the radio. KXL. Somewhere. Yeah, KXL. I'm also still on kink. Okay, but in in a different fashion. I'm at night rather than in the morning. Okay. I'm going to tell you, I listened to the morning show recently. Mm -hmm. Liked it better when you were there. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Doesn't do me any good anymore, but yeah, I appreciate no, you saying that. No, I do. And it wasn't just because I knew you. But right. anyway, that's beside the point. Sure. What's the point? Well, that's what we're that's what we're here to talk about today. Yeah. We got a little bit of a point. Um, cultural appropriation, which, by the way, we could have elected not to do this. Sure. So we elected to do this. And, um, and we have a couple of folks in the studio with us today that we think will make it an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. But I actually, which I never do, you know, this podcast is generally just stream of consciousness conversation, but I thought it would be important to um, talk about why 
we're doing two white guys, right. you and I, mm-hmm. uh, are doing a podcast uh, on cultural appropriation. And I'm actually glad we're doing it. I'm, gl- I'm glad I learned, glad, and I'll read this, but I'm glad I learned, s- started thinking about it because I really had never given it a lot of thought before. And that's part of the issue. We, ha- we probably have a lot of li- listeners like us who haven't given it a lot of thought. Sure. So let me just go with this. We wanted to do this podcast not as a means to quick answers, but to learn and listen. Obviously, as two white guys who don't own restaurants, we are not in a position to speak for those who are affected by or are passionate about examining cultural appropriation. I need to make it clear that we have to actually push things technically a bit to even have four people in the studio on this podcast. And you mean push quite literally. I have to push my microphone over here to Carlos. Exactly. <laughs> it's, we'd like to have more. We would like to have more people, but we can't. Yeah. So we have limited ability to create any sort of roundtable, which, which would be something maybe we can figure out in the future, but it's not happening right now. We also could have elected not to touch this issue at all, but we believe culture is the very essence of the food world and our experiences and our experiences. So it would be like burying our heads in the sand if we did. So as we decided not only to do the show, but to understand the reasons that we should, we thought this episode would open up some minds of our listeners, including Courts and Mine, to start to understand better what the issues are that have caused this current stir. And it's been going on for a while, but for us... It's a current thing. This is a complex issue, which became even more clear as I delved into reading about the subject. The people who put out the most recent list in Portland suggested anyone who found the document read at least some of the articles referenced before moving on to the list itself. And I did that, and it was a great suggestion. I learned things I'd never even thought about. We are not going to learn all there is to know or, of course, solve this in 45 minutes to an hour or over any period of time right here in the studio. What this has done and we can do is to make it part of the consciousness of those like me and you and some of us, some other people who haven't really given this a lot of thought. Other than to think Pac Pac makes a great Thai, makes great Thai food and so does Padi. Same thing with Authentica, aptly named, and Mimero Mole. On this podcast, over our three-plus years, we have interviewed some of the people on both sides of, quote-unquote, the list that was recently published by people who chose not to identify themselves as authors. On Right at the Fork, we've only touched on some of the issues of authenticity when it comes to food itself, but not necessarily in relation to the larger social issues. We have an audience who may or may not have been part of this thought process, so our purpose here is simply to open up the discussion and minds to understand the issue in a different way than perhaps our filters allow us to, without the benefit of broader considerations. Given that, we thought we'd discuss this issue in at least a small way, given the limitations of time and technology that we have. We only have three mics available, so it is as it is, we have people sharing mics. So with us today are two well-known figures in our Portland food world, Realizing that there are some who would prefer one or both of these guests would not be so well known, we apologize for the limits we have, but we feel strongly that both of our guests can provide an excellent basis for starting to understand the complexities of the issue of cultural appropriation. First is Carlo Lamagna, who has become a great friend ever since I worked with him on his first Filipino dinner two summers ago at a PFA event adjacent to the restaurant where he has been the executive chef for the better part of the past three years. Yeah, about three. Right. Clyde Common. 
It was announced last week in Eater that Carlo will soon be opening his own restaurant featuring the Filipino cuisine he learned to love as a child. He seasons himself and worked his way through several great kitchens to get to this point. On the way, he tried what many think was a little out of the box, hunky talk tacos, which proved not too long for this world. And so I think it would be a good idea to address that in the context of the issue of cultural appropriation. It's a privilege to have this podcast and to have Carlo come on and share his views. Now, our other guest today is Nick Zukin. The idea to record a more socially topical podcast rather than our usual biographical and business stories was catalyzed from my reading Nick's commentary on Facebook when the issue came to the fore a few weeks ago. Aside from Nick's being a very opinionated person on almost everything, with regard to this issue, he should be part of the discussion. First of all, Nick's Mimiramole is on the list. Secondly, conceding that this is not the entire issue, it would not be a very credible argument to say that Nick sloppily stole one idea from Mexican culture in pursuit of the almighty buck. As he very solidly documented, Nick spent years traveling and immersing himself in Mexican culture and cuisine to present the most authentic rendering of Mexican guisados to our Portland food public. And as far as capitalizing on it, I know Nick would tell you that if money were the sole driving force in his life, he surely wouldn't open a, have opened a restaurant, much less two. In addition, he's published and talked about so many Mexican food businesses and other ethnic, ethnicities, promoting them with honesty and integrity when deserved, most likely at the expense of his own interests. We've had him on the podcast twice, extolling the virtue of many food carts and uh, Mexican-owned brick-and-mortar restaurants. Uh, those are episodes from September 28th, 2016, and also back our second episode in January of 2014. While I personally don't agree with Nick, Nick on some of the many viewpoints he so often expresses through his many avenues, one of which is PortlandFood.org, and on Facebook itself, and on Twitter, there is no doubt he's a thoughtful, intelligent man who is quite capable of seeing beyond his own interests and has a heart of gold when it comes to employees and people in general. His benevolence extends beyond promoting businesses of people of color. He provides free food to many, free bike lights to people who don't use them, and most recently got into the fray by starting a GoFundMe campaign for the victims of the TriMet murders, raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for them. It's an honor to have Nick here to say to him in person that he's an energetic, shining example of what we need now more than ever in this increasingly divided world. That was long. Are we done? You did it. That's it. <laughs> but I wanted to start, I thought a good start for this discussion would be with Carlo to talk about Honky Tonk Tacos because it's got a the greatest failure mix. ever. <laughs> yes. Uh, and it was, so you're do, you, were, you decided with a white guy, Nate Tilden. Several. To do, as a Filipino, to do Mexican food. Yeah. So let's just start with that. What were you, think, <laughs> were you thinking about cultural appropriation at all when that came about, or did it ever cross your mind? You know, the funny thing is, no, it, it never really did. Um, going into a taco shop, which, you know, there are uh, many great ones, uh, the way that I looked at it at the time was, was you know, at that moment, was it was kind of financially driven. You know, I have two boys. You know, I just had a kid at the time. Um, and and taco shops, like, I, you know, as, as a cook, I always ate at taco shops. Chicago, Chicago has some of the greatest in, in the country, in my opinion, you know. But 
you know, I looked at that model. I was like, okay, something that could lead into into other things for me, like you know, to to lead into a Filipino restaurant and at being an opportunity to to help other friends, like like the guy that that was help, helping me run that kitchen, John Boise, who is a who's a phenomenal cook in his own right, uh, who is of of Mexican descent. He's you know from Texas to kind of help, like okay, hey, let's try doing this. Let's try. Let's see what we can do um, with with tacos. But I did preface that. When when we're opening that place, um, by saying that it was going to be inauthentic, like I made no claims to be like, oh, this is the purest form, because I I know I I do respect, you know, the people like like Nick himself and 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 the many other people who own uh, phenomenal phenomenal Mexican restaurants. Um, I understand that the the culture is there, but then you know, for me personally, it was just one of those things where okay, I didn't I didn't I didn't think it through in all honesty. You know, it was just one of those things where, okay, I can, I can hopefully step away from Clyde. I can, you know, make means to support my family and then hopefully lead into other ventures. But that, that's not how it turned out. Um, the food, the food quality obviously was, was not there, you know, according to many people, I, I thought that some, some of the things that we did were, were quite fantastic and quite tasty, but we were caught in this weird crossroads because it was kind of inauthentic. But at the same time, John wanted to kind of bring that authenticism in. I, you know, we were stuck in the middle. So it's like, okay, hey, at the end of the day, it closed. And and I didn't even think about the whole cultural appropriation thing. I really didn't. Um, but all, all of a sudden, these things started coming up, These, especially in this political climate. Um, and then it got me thinking. I was like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm the asshole, right? I, you know, I, I, re- I literally thought that. I was like, well, shit. I didn't think this through. I was I was a prick. I didn't you know I didn't I didn't follow through. I didn't I didn't do the things my due diligence to make sure that this was this was gonna be a great place. The name itself was was no was no thought of mine personally. I you know I kind of went with the flow on that one, but um, you know <laughs> obviously I probably wouldn't have chosen that name. But at the end of the day, no you know I'm not gonna point any fingers. It's, it it was on me. Like it came to the food and and it didn't hit the mark. And I kind of. It was funny because that kind of led into the Filipino thing for me. It made me realize, like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I not just kind of doing my thing that I should have been doing in the first place? And that everybody knew from the get-go you did so well. I mean, yeah. and, and when I when we first did that dinner, yeah. you talked about all the influences from the culture and your family on all the dishes. And that's what's made it, that's what made it so special. But as a diner... We're not necessarily exactly. always thinking about is this. It's really does it come down to is it delicious and is yeah. it good? Yeah, exactly. I actually, I actually have a question for Carlo. Yeah, because this comes up every once in a while in discussions of cultural appropriation or culinary appropriation. Absolutely. Um, do you think it's more important that you give a qualification? Because a lot of chefs do this. They say, "Well, we're not even trying for authentic." Do you think it's better to not try for authentic, or do you think it's better to be truly passionate about it and really dive in and try to be authentic? Or do you think neither one is important? Ultimately, it's just how it tastes. I, I think personally, at the end of the day, I think it, I think it comes down to taste. I mean, we're, we're, tech, we're tackling a very sensitive subject and, and me being of a, a, you know, a simple cook, you know, I, I think both roads lead to that same, that same point. If you are really going to commit yourself to it, do so. You have, right? Rick Bayless has, Andy Ricker has, like 
you know, there are so many chefs out there that really immerse themselves in something, whether it's whether it's tacos or, or, or Mexican cuisine. I mean, there there's so many amazing things out in Mexico. It's such a broad base that it's hard to pinpoint one thing. Now, if someone immerses immerses themselves into that culture and creates something that's delicious, by all means. I, I respect that. Kudos to you because you did your you did your handiwork. You know, I got you got to be able to respect that. Yeah. But when it comes to inauthenticism, like uh, in inauthentic food, I mean, like like me, that's a great example. I, I I like pork adobo, Filipino food, right? I've always put pork adobo on tacos. I always have just as staff meal. And I was like, oh hey, maybe that might sell. I I do want to pay respect to the culture in saying that I I'm not trying to be. Mexican. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to cook Mexican food, but I, I, I know what tastes good. Well, I've honk tonk taco, maybe not so much, but right. But like, in, in my opinion, it's one of those things where maybe, maybe just pay a little respect origins. Right. So that, that, that lines up. I mean, you're a chef and that lines up with most of the chefs who I've talked to. They yeah. are most concerned because I think chefs know how hard the business is and how hard it, and how much you actually have to think about and work and just the sweat yeah. involved in doing this. I mean, you know, even if a place doesn't succeed or even if it doesn't, uh, the food doesn't, you know, reach the level of the goals, I think, you know, everybody in the industry understands that that person still probably worked their ass off. Yeah. I mean, I remember the first week of opening, like I, I was sick. Like I got, I got like deathly ill to the point where I was like, you know, I ran a hundred, 105 fever the second day. Yeah. Like after my first night, I stayed there till one in the morning. I was grilling peppers, doing all this fun stuff. And then next, you know, I'm running a fever. I'm like, ah, what am I doing to myself? Right. And that's the hard work part, you know, that nobody sees um, nor cares about, actually, if you think about it. Um, and yeah, chefs have a, the hardest part about this whole situation is that chefs, chefs do have a different point of view. We're, we're, we're a band of pirates. Honestly, <laughs> like it's it's like the greatest beginnings of a joke. You have a black guy, a Mexican guy, a Filipino guy in the kitchen. What do you think is about to happen? You know, it's like, you know, we're not the most PC people, <laughs> you right. know, in the kitchen. And 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 honestly, we, to, in my opinion, it's to our advantage. We kind of put our blinders on against all races and cultures, you know, because we we're cooks at the end of the day. We're chefs. That's that's kind of that. This is which is kind of weird when it, when tackling the situation. Um, I mean, the biggest thing for me is like when somebody calls himself a chef, and they they say, "Oh, I'm two weeks out of culinary school." Like that offends me more. Right. You know, I, I, I don't know why. Well, and I don't ever call myself a chef. Um, you know, p- other people call me chef. I say, you know, I'm a restaurateur and a cook. I'm not a chef. Exactly. I, I can't run a kitchen like Clyde Common. I I would be lost doing it. Yeah. I'm, most of the time, I am too. <laughs> you're, you're running a lot. I am right? running a lot, but I'm I'm really a restaurant tour, and I can run the line at Me Marimole, but the line at Me Marimole is very different than the line at a you know top level restaurant. So you don't think you could step in uh, in a pinch? And no, and- I could maybe expedite or you know or or work one station or something, but I could not be a chef at a at a top restaurant. No okay. way. Okay. Well, that's interesting, and I think. I don't know if this is moving in a different direction, but in my opinion, you know, when I when the first time I had your Filipino food, that was my first real exposure to it. So thanks to you, I now know more about that culture than I would have. Nick, one of your big challenges in your restaurant is people walk in and they don't see necessarily quesadillas and what they're expecting. You're bringing what we wouldn't have in Portland to Portland 
with the research that you've done, and you're trying to make it as, as authentic as possible, correct? Right. I mean, there are places that do similar stuff to what we do, um, but they're in Gresham or Hillsborough. They're not in central Portland, really. So, I mean, um, I mean, we have a we have a dual problem. Well, maybe a few problems. I mean, one, you have expectations built on Mexican-American food. You know, so lots of people want crispy tacos with ground beef, and we're not going to do that. Um, you also have the same expectations from people who visited taco trucks. They want carnitas or carne asada. We don't do any of those. Um and then you also have people who come in and um, either they lived in Mexico for a while or visited Mexico or maybe even are from Mexico. Um, and they have a very um, narrow perspective on Mexico because, I mean, Mexico has more languages than any other uh, country in the world. You know, the, the only comparable countries are places like India and yep. China. You know, and so there's so many regionally specific things that are just extremely different from the other part of the country and so you know someone will come in and go this isn't this is an authentic mole and what they mean is it's not the mole they grew up with but you know i know that it's a 60 year old recipe from someone who was very well renowned in puebla so i know that it is an authentic one and i've had people taste it who are from those areas and say yes that is just like my grandmother made so I mean, it's clearly authentic, but, but just I mean, to point out, but to, it's about expectations. You that recipe that you're talking about is not something you went in and stole. You no, discussed it with the with. Well, the, that recipe is actually um, from one of Diana Kennedy's cookbooks, and I uh, I uh, cooked with her for a week along with about eight other people, and this is a recipe that she gathered, you know, a long time ago because she's been living in Mexico for sixty years or so. And that's another layer to this too, yep. right? So yeah, another white person. Di- another white person in Mexico doing what she does. And- well, and people often forget that Mexico, well, even Hispanic, is not a um, is not a race. You know, right? It, yeah. I mean, Hispanic means people who speak Spanish, basically, or or people who um, come out of Spanish colonies, things like that. So, I mean, it it's not a race. There are white Mexicans. There, are, you know, there are white Puerto Ricans. There are white Cubans. You know. Um, uh, you know, Pablo, my manager at Mimero Mole, is uh, is Cuban, and his family, you know, growing up, they always considered themselves white. I mean, you know, as a as a you know Northern European um, American, you know, people might look at them and go, eh, they're kind of brown or something like that. But I mean, that just gets into the whole false, you know, dichotomy of races anyway. And we're not... We're all uh, shades of and, pink and brown, right? Uh, right, but we're, it's not called racial appropriation. It's called cultural appropriation. Correct. So and there's clearly a cultures. Mexican culture. And by right. called, I mean that's what we're reading about. That's what... Yeah. That, that's the Yeah, and it gets mixed up. I mean, the list, the blacklist that was put out, that was more race-based than it was cultural-based. Which they, is kind of sad. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 they're, they're attacking... You know, okay, so... <laughs> So my thought on that, sorry to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, no, go um, for it. Was was that it's just like it's a bullying tactic in in a way. I mean, okay, let's take let's take let's let's take the elf in the room, which was the the two young ladies. Uh, was right. it Cooks burrito or whatever? Cooks burrito. Yeah. Cooks. Sorry. Or Cooks. Yeah. I don't That's know. the elf in the room. No, I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, no, the, the little elephant, the little baby one. No. Um. But what what kind of sparked this here? Because I remember I was I was actually out of town when the, when that that whole situation broke out, and I was like, oh shit, what's going on? And um, and so I read through the article. I read through the comments on Facebook, uh, uh-huh. yourself included in that. And I was like, wow, oh, this is whew, 
That's pretty intense, right? Again, as a brown dude, I never I never considered all this. I grew up in Michigan. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. And then I moved to the Philippines. Um, I was just talking to my wife about this yesterday. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and then moved out to the suburbs of Michigan, a brown kid in a white community. Then I moved to the Philippines as an American-raised individual, let's forget the color at that point, in a Philipp- in, in the country of the Philippines, at a point in time where, where being American kind of excommunicates you from from the culture so is I'm, there a is there a um word in the philippines for someone who's yeah. filipino but from an outside oh, yeah. culture you're, you're an amboy you're you're okay. you know you're, you're an amboy you're an american in, Mex- you're american in mexico the word is pocho yeah you're it's a pocho. the same yeah, thing right exactly <laughs> and and it's like well, well fuck where do i belong you know um and and taking all the kind of taking my own personal experience into consideration it you know i i felt I felt like these mixed emotions all of a sudden because I got, kind of got stirred up because I was like, uh, you know, I, I kind of felt unwanted in both countries where I, where I grew up um, to a certain degree. And and it's always been that way, whether I could speak the language in the Philippines, which I now can. I had to pick it up, you know. Um, but it was like I, I was always kind of on the outskirts. And then these two young ladies taking the situation, you know, kind of why it all sparked everything was that reading the story. Um, I, my, my, th- my quick thoughts on that were one. I think they, they went about it the wrong way. I truly do. I mean, go, you know, the way that they were their story, the way that they, they, they kind of went about doing this. You've done extensive research. Mm-hmm. Andy Rickers lived in Thailand. Rick Bayless, you know. Still yeah, does. Yeah, much. still He's does. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> when, when, when is he here? <laughs> no, but like there are people who are out there like like Diana Kennedy, much respected because she she really immerses herself in that culture. And it brought up feelings of, of my run-ins with everybody. What's the difference between a gentleman that or or a woman who who loves a culture so much, say the Philippines, and lives in the Philippines for the rest of their life? She'll be more Filipino and accept more accepting of that culture than some Filipinos that I know who are like, oh, you know, they'll they'll be like, oh, that's not Filipino, you know, they're you know, yeah, they're right. talking the accent, but they're they're like, I I don't like eating that, you know. I'm like, well. Where are we then? Like, what what is the point? Why should I excommunicate that individual, this person that by by skin color, leaving their their life behind and going to the country that that I that I feel like I I belonged in, versus the individual who just who who just kind of denounces his Filipino heritage and be like, oh, I'm Hawaiian. Right. I've heard people say that. I'm like, and that to me is frustrating. So it's another layer added on. It's like cultural appropriation it's a it's a big thing and then then it's a very specific thing we can't just focus on the specifics of these young ladies i believe that the bullying tactics that occurred for them to close were very inappropriate no matter what color what race what culture you're from being a bully is being a bully you're being an asshole our president's an asshole sorry Uh, but he's it, it just shows that that bullying concept doesn't work it shouldn't be that way there should be intelligent conversations and intellectual communication between individuals to help people understand what's going on that's how i feel yeah, no, I agree. And um, in fact, um, you know, I've been thinking about it lately and, and a lot of people like to, and you see it in comments on, uh, you know, Willamette Week or wherever, where people get into these uh, uh, debates that are really just one straw man arguing with another straw yeah. man, right? Mm-hmm. And I almost I almost feel like the, uh, the blacklist has to be bracketed because it's like there's very little thought behind it. There's all kinds of hypocrisy in it. I mean, even to the point where they put a um, frequently asked question that basically tries to explain why um, 
Jews who are of uh, Middle Eastern descent and are brown aren't really people of color, and so they're the only people who don't count as people of color. <laughs> because kidding me. Because of, because of Zionism or something. It's like, Where's well, the committee about, meeting to decide that? I That's what know. I want to know. I don't know. There's all kinds of craziness in it, right? They talk about like, um, like uh, oh, we have to do this to support, um, you know, um, people of color who don't have money and stuff, and then they'll take like one restaurant that's I know is like barely making it or anything, and then their recommendation is from some chain of restaurant owned by Koreans who are making sushi, and it's like, what? So, I mean, in my opinion, you almost have to put this aside because the list is so poorly thought out that it really ends up just being a straw man. It's like it's too easy to attack, and there actually are, I think, um, legitimate concerns about cultural appropriation and legitimate concerns about um, – you know how people are treating um you know what we what we term ethnic food you know even though that usually ends up meaning just brown people food we don't call italian food ethnic food right um but uh you know foods from immigrant communities foods from people in developing nations you know i posted this thing today that a friend of mine um a food historian posted uh, that has a list, and it's in Spanish, but um, it has a list of all these things on the that. left and all these things on the right. All the things on the left are Mexican. All the things on the right are French. But they're basically the same items, except for they're a tenth the cost on the uh, Mexican side versus the French side. And to me, that is a much larger problem you know, of how we're thinking about these foods. I mean, there is nothing... Uh, um, less expensive about making a mole or less sophisticated about making a mole than making, you know, some Italian or French sauce. But you can charge a hell of a lot more for those Italian and French sauces than you can for a mole. Well, shitballs, if you ever, <laughs> if you ever know, if, if, if anybody and you're going to run into yeah. that with Filipino oh, for sure. Oh, trust me, I already have. It's be a great time, Chris, for us to talk about our good friends at Standard TV and Appliance. And Gen Air. And Gen Air, both founded in 1947. Exactly. What a coincidence. And they've paired together to support this podcast. We're very happy about that. And if, we have good things to say. Yeah, if you've dreamed of having an appliance that is connected to, to your Wi-Fi, for example, that you can control from, you know, maybe the office, Gen Air's got it. And Standard TV and Appliance has the Gen Air. Right. So... You're connected in every other way. Why not set your oven up so it'll start when you're on your way home? Yep, or you got that casserole sitting in there so it turns on and it's ready right when you walk in the door. Exactly. And this is this is the wave of the future. So get in now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to have that. So I think it's great that we have standard TV and appliance, which is locally owned and Oregon-based. It's awesome. I agree. That's what we're looking for on this podcast. And um, also, they're so kind as to, if you've shopped for a Jenner appliance, mm-hmm. Use the word fork, and don't just say fork. Right. Don't don't walk up to the salesperson while you're purchasing the Gen Air and wink and say fork. Right. You I, need to just say, I heard this on right at the fork, and hopefully they'll know what you were talking about. But again, we suggest you say that anyway when you walk in the door. Right. And the reason why is because they'll uh, they'll include a five-year warranty on your Gen Air appliance. Oh, thanks for yeah. supplying that information. Yeah. No, <laughs> you could just mention, hey, by the way, I listened to Right at the Fork. But right, but five-year warranty is pretty there's good. There's a benefit to it. Yes, exactly. They've got uh, five locations to serve you, so pretty much wherever you are, they are too. Right, there's one right there on uh, Sandy mm-hmm. that's that's great with a great showroom. Yep. And also, standardtvandappliance.com. If you go to our website, rightatthefork.com, you can click through and it'll take you right to the Gen Air portion of Standard TV and Appliance website. 
it, the funny thing is with, with like mole, it's like people don't understand the complexity in a mole. They don't. And then they're like, oh, but it's Mexican. Then then it becomes like, oh, it shouldn't it be cheap? I was like, fuck. And Have that, you ever well, seen I, I go into, I go yeah. in, you know, I don't eat out at fancy restaurants that much anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, when I do, I'll go in, I'll see like some little like pasta thing that's like, you know, could fit in my hand and it'll be like 13 bucks. I'm like, man, my taco has a higher food cost than this. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. Um, yeah, when it, when it comes to all these uh, all these things with food, for me, it's a little different. I feel like I feel like we're 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 kind of latching on to the wrong issues. Right? Does that does that make sense? Am I sound like an idiot? But no, those, I, but I think that's are... totally right. I've you know what I've tried to say is that um, you know you know I have to ask people what they mean by cultural appropriation because a lot of people mean different things. Yeah. But in general, I don't think cultural appropriation is the real issue. I mean. People borrow from other cultures. You know, it's it's either how you treat that, what the context of it, how you're using it, um, the respect that you have, and then whether there's some sort of, you know, racist um, element to it or exploitive element to it. I mean, clearly if somebody's, you know, dressing up in a sombrero and a mustache on Halloween and going around going, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. They're a racist fuck. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And that's a problem. It's true. The borrowing of the culture. I mean, if some woman who is white, um, went down to Mexico, loved everything and brings back some clothes that she bought that were handmade and wears those clothes, um, because she loves them or jewelry. Uh, I don't see the problem there, but it, that is clearly cultural appropriation. But isn't that what we're really after is for people to accept Every, uh, you I know, think so. And enjoy other cultures. You can't. You can't accept if you don't don't appreciate it and enjoy it. So I well, feel that you know bringing things from other cultures and loving them uh, is is what we're trying well, I, to do. I mean that. I mean that's a question more for Carlo though, and for people um, you know in Carlo's uh, circle, maybe family or friends who are from you know developing countries, yeah. especially. How do they? I mean, what is it about? seeing someone dressed in something or eating something or making something of theirs that offends them. I mean, it's not for me to say. Well, honestly, it's, it's one of those things where, um, uh, just recently, uh, this is a good example. Just recently, I uh, I was at the uh, National Restaurant Association uh, in Chicago, and I did this uh, little speaking engagement regarding you know breakfast food, ethnic breakfast. Great. I looked at the list, and there was an individual presenting on Filipino food. I was like, oh, that's cool. I wonder who the chef is. So my instant presumption is that he is Filipino and he's going into it, right? Yeah, he's, he was a Nicaraguan chef. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's that's odd. So so on my part, I was like, at first, my first reaction, which I think we have to get over. And this is, you know, this is, this is the to, same thing you're going to get yeah, from exactly. Filipinos from Philippines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, I already have. We'll discuss that in a minute. No, the, the, the situation was where I said, oh, shit, he's a Nicaraguan chef. What does he know about Filipino food? And then, I, you know, then you listen to his presentation. I'm like, well, you know what, man? You did your due diligence. You did your research. You you worked with some Filipinos and, 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 and you kind of you, you did it justice. Right. Because mm-hmm. he did the research. At the end of the day, um, I will always be an outcast, no matter where I go. Whether it's in the Philippines, I've had Filipinos come up to me on the pass at Clyde Common and tell me, because I put Filipino dishes on uh-huh. there and tell me, that is not Filipino. <laughs> and I look at them and I say, why is it not Filipino? They couldn't answer my question. It's uh-huh. like, what what doesn't make it, what, why doesn't make it Filipino? What, what makes it not, you know, Filipino? Because crispy pigfoot, crispy pata was, was the dish. 
And she goes, that's not Filipino. I was like, why? And she goes, oh, you don't have the crackling skin. Was the skin crispy? Yeah, sure. Was was the sauce appropriate? Well, yeah, it was soy sauce and vinegar. That's what you serve it with, right? So why is it not Filipino? It just doesn't have that right the right flavor. I was like, you're basing this off of memory now. See, this is the thing. With memory in food, just like the grandmas, uh-huh. and grandfathers, and oh, this isn't grandmas, this is grandpas. Memory is is one of those things. That's a very personal thing. My and palate, yeah, Brute. and palate. Doesn't even have to yeah, have exactly. To do memory. Some people may love my stuff. Some people may hate it. Hey, who am I to say? Thank you for your opinion. Kudos to you. If you don't like it, don't come back. If you love it, then fantastic. I'll see you again tomorrow. You know. But again, it's one of these things where, or I'm sorry, I keep kind of bouncing back and forth. There's so many things in my brain, but, but, but it's one of those things where it co- comes back to that simple part of the food. Does it taste good? Does it? And, and if it does, great. Well, and what I try to remind people too is, um, you know, I, I actually experienced that even more when I was doing Kenny and Zooks because every New Yorker was an expert uh, on pastrami, of course. Pastrami and bacon. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, what we would say is, um, you know, Ken would often say, well, this is Portland bales. They're not New York bales just to kind of shut them up. For me, it was like, well, you know what? We're trying to do it how they did it a hundred years ago. So unless you're 110, <laughs> you probably can't remember how it was. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we experienced that same thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, what I remind people too, is that, you know, with a lot of these foods, I mean, especially with Filipino food and that you're probably going to serve in the Mexican food that we serve, each family has their own version. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I've had people tell me my adobo is an adobo. I'm like, well, that's my dad's adobo. Yeah, exactly. You know, your lumpia is not lumpia. <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's my mom's lumpia. Of course, it's not going it, to. It's still lumpia. What you know, it, it, I think people are, are, are getting too specific about things, you know, when it comes to certain certain situations right. like that. It's like, look, adobo is composed of, X, you know, five or six amount ingredients, you know. In what iteration? In different parts of the country, same as Mexico, same as India, same as any other large country that is connected to many different cultures or other cultures or influences, is that, guess what? Some people put coconut in their adobo. Are you, are you going to call that not adobo? Because you grew up in the north and that coconut's, you know, that, that adobo's from the south? What's what, why, why are you getting mad? Why, why right. Are you getting mad at your own ignorance because you don't know? Well, I, I actually had to come up with this idea when I was at Kenny and Zooks, and that's there's two types of people, and they're the people who, who are who are who are picky, and they're people who are particular. Mm. And the picky people, they have certain sets of standards, and they have kind of a wide palate. It's like, you know, is the is it you know cooked well? Is it seasoned well? Does it you know have nice blend of flavors, etc.? That's being picky. Being particular is saying, does this taste exactly like this? Yeah. And those people are a pain in the ass, and you just there's nothing you can do about them. Absolutely. And how and how can you win? So, if you're if you're you know opening up, Manya is it pronounced Manya? Uh, Magna. Magna. Okay. Yeah. And how do you pronounce your last name? La Magna. La Magna. Uh, we had this discussion had this last discussion. time, Chris. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks there for thank, thanks for being sensitive to well, my. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I, right now, good. I, I'd like to divert any. <laughs> I'd like to divert any uh, aspersions about well, me to that topic, um, but. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. If yeah. you can't, if you didn't, weren't born in the Philippines, right? And now you're here. You're kind of this ship 
uh, that anybody can choose to to vilify you on any issue, and you're a chef. What are you to do? Uh, what are you what to, what are you to cook and cook still food. be? Yeah. <laughs> well, here, okay. So so this is kind of tackling this whole, uh, not tackling, but like uh, to add another yet another layer. I was born in the Philippines to Canadian citizen parents, right? My ki- my, my parents are Canadian citizens um, through naturalization. I was born through through parentage. I lived in the Philippines a total of like seven or nine months at that point, and I moved to Canada. I lived in Canada for two or three years. I know those are my baby years, right? Then I grew up in Detroit. Then I moved back, went to high school and college in the Philippines. Came back to Detroit. Then went to New York. Went to Chicago. It's like, but then I you know I spent some time in, in Germany, Spain, and France, learning from other chefs. What does that make me, right? I did I, quote unquote, culturally appropriate by the standard de- definition? Yes, I did, absolutely. But but the 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 way that people are tackling it now is is you know, I mean there are three white guys in this room technically, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what people are tackling is like okay the white uh, you know white privilege white this side or the other and I'm like okay. Let's 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 reopen this whole situation. I'm like, okay, fine, but the thing is, like, I, I can point to 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 anybody that that just works hard and does their thing, and and try to gain some sort of uh, foothold. Um, I I don't I personally never noticed. Like, I I personally have never looked at it like, oh, it's some white dude taking my job or whatever. I'm like, no, I, I looked at it like I need to work hard. To get to where I am, and so so do they. So everybody does. Everybody does. I, absolutely. There are people out there who are who are working their asses off. But, but again, it's like if we were in fucking Dubai. Dubai is probably one of the richest countries in, in in the world right now. They have so much going on, and yet you have all these Middle Eastern owners that are opening an Italian restaurant. Is cultural appropriation a, 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 a big problem outside of the United States, or is it just within the United States? And if they saw the opportunity and thought, we love Italian food, it yeah. would sell well here. I mean, it's, it, you know, there's a, there is a profit motive, yeah. but it would sell well here. Why can we not? What do we have to do? Wait until someone from Italy yeah. uh, prompt them? I, I, know, I, I know for a fact that when people hear this interview, people are going to be like, oh, fuck that guy. Fuck, you know, to me. Personally, because I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily fall within your typical, you know, I'm, I'm brown and I'm proud. I am proud of being Filipino, but I'm also proud of being a fucking human being. Maybe I'm naive in that sense where I believe, I believe that anybody has an opportunity to make something of themselves. Because what if a Donald Luck white kid learned some phenomenal Filipino food from his neighbor and said, hey, man, let's open a restaurant together. It's like, no, nah, dude. And I said, hey, is it okay if I adopt this, uh, adopt this for myself and go into it with you? Is that okay? The, and this this person down on their luck, which I grew up next to these guys, you know, uh, you know, white family down on their luck, and they make something of themselves through a different culture, whether it's tacos, whether it's Filipino food, whatever it may be. How can you fault that guy for for trying to make something of himself and actually succeeding in it? Well, and that's um, and that's why I think that uh, getting caught up in the the blacklist on the white appropriate is is a straw man because I mean there are all kinds of legitimate issues and one of them is about class yep. and your status as an immigrant and things like that that have you know you know race certainly plays a role in in lots of these things and um, can be a disadvantage but so is being born poor 
Yeah. Uh, so is being born without two parents. You know, so is being born without handicapped. a hand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whatever I mean, it may be. whatever. Um, I mean, there are lots of things that play into this, and it seems like they weren't really focused on uh, how to undo these disadvantages. Um, they were just focused on race. And if you, um, if you're brown, uh, you know, that needed to uh, take precedence over your white, no matter what. And for me, it's, it, it seems like we should be more focused on understanding where people come from, the disadvantages they have and providing opportunities for them. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically what, I look at it from, um, and I mean, I think those are the conversations that would actually be productive. How can we provide capital for, um, you know, for people who are poor or from the inner cities, um, who are immigrants? How do we provide, you know, better avenues for them to make a living? Yeah, and and how do you get them into into that uh, into that arena, just to, to be to make their lives better, right? Um, so a lot of the a lot of the discussions that I've seen and, and I've heard are become like, oh, it's the white man profiting off of this. Oh, they have a easier advantage to say, for example, open a restaurant or mm-hmm. open a store that over over an immigrant family or this side or the other. And it's like most let, let's take this an example. Yeah, I, most sushi restaurants I know. I've worked in a sushi restaurant. You know, being Filipino. Oh my God, a Filipino working in a sushi <laughs> restaurant. You know, that were owned by a bunch of Japanese. That's great, right? But then you go to other, how many sushi restaurants do you know that are owned by Koreans? A lot. And I'm just like, is it good? Great. Perfect. One of the best sushi chefs in this city, she's Korean. You know, Kate Koo. She owns, she owns um, alongside my friend Sam, they own uh, Zilla Sake. And she, she's a badass sushi chef, but she's Korean. Who cares? I don't. She's by the way, that's the recommended sushi restaurant on the list. Well, and something that you'll yeah. have to, and and this will be, I imagine, part of it. Um, well, I mean, there's a couple of things, but I mean, when you when you do a Filipino place, it'll probably be a little bit. The food will probably be a little bit more chefy than you'd get, say, from a food cart or something like that. Yeah. But you also, as an American um, who grew up in America with American education, um, being able to speak good English, you know, things like that. Um, have an advantage over um, Filipino and Mar- immigrants, and and there might be some resentment from, say, um, a Filipino cart owner or restaurant owner, and saying, "Well, he whatever." There it is. There are again. I, I've already encountered all these things because the moment no, the moment that you the moment that you step foot into any realm that you're doing, I'm sure you you encounter this entering into the Mexican foray. Any moment. That you step your foot into something and say that you're doing this. I'm doing Filipino food. Almost instantly, you're going to get people who are going to fight back on you. That's not authentic. That's bullshit. In the Philippines, we call that crab mentality. It's bringing each other down. It's the one crab trying to get out of the pot. Guess what the other crab's doing? Just like, come back down here. You're not leaving. And and to me, that applies not just, I mean, crab mentality is just, a, you know, we use that as a Filipino Filipino, but then just expand that pot everybody's just trying to bring each other down the best part about portland that i've ever seen is the community itself the community of chefs when i first moved here i i I sat down had lunch with with a bunch of chefs at nongs and and we were all just sitting there i was just like oh it was my like second weekend nobody knew who the fuck i was i just moved here you know 
and and for them to be so welcoming and so understanding hey what do you need hey this is some great fish over here this is who we use you know how many times back in back in the the 90s and early 2000s where people hold so much to their heart be like nope i'm not going to tell you my sources you know i've i've seen that as as a cook as an up and coming cook you know my chefs are like hey chef where'd you get that it's like why do you want to know Are you opening a restaurant i'm like dude i just i just want to know but well, that's, that's one of the, the unique things though about yeah. portland restaurant industry and why a lot of people like it here who are in the restaurant industry is because people are i mean you know there's there's you know backstabbing and always and all that kind of stuff just like any you know high school <laughs> but, it is, but, but, but it for the most the, part people the are rule. it's the exception it is the exception the people people generally um support each other yeah. and and want to help each other and you know go out together it's not just like um you know every restaurant's a island unto themselves and yeah. everybody's out to kill the other well for person. me that's what um attracted me to the whole food world here in the first place the food was all great but what i could not believe coming from the east coast was how everybody was supporting everybody yeah. and, and suggesting you go to their restaurants that would never happen i yeah. can i can cite instances where i've had chefs say you never go to that one don't go to that one and, right. and that wouldn't that does not happen in portland if someone has a problem with somebody else or another restaurant another chef you don't hear about it that much they'll just keep yeah. quiet generally just do it. Yeah. but uh, but they will support someone voraciously and yeah. let's say someone's equipment is missing or, or broken it's a Facebook post, and there are all yeah, sorts all of it. yeah. Everybody's all over it to help. It's a very tight knit community, and and that and that's why I love about it. Right at the fork is brought to you by Zupans, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years, Zupans Markets. La Ruta PDX. Get tickets now for the first ever La Ruta PDX Festival. Top chefs from Spain and around the world. Join forces with chefs from Portland dedicated to Spanish cuisine. It's a gastronomic festival July 14th through the 16th. That's four days of dinners, events, workshops, demos, and cultural experiences. Find out more and buy tickets at larutapdx.com. Standard TV and Appliance. Standard TV and Appliance offers the largest selection, fast delivery, professional installation, and live kitchens where you can try before you buy. Oregon-based and family-owned, setting the standard since 1947. Standard TV and Appliance is your place for quality Gen Air appliances and more. And by Portland Food Adventures. Imagine eating your way through Barcelona with Italo's Jose Chesa or Tuscany with Lardo and Grasa's Rick Gencarelli. Join right at the Fork host Chris Angelis with these great chefs in Europe this fall. Get more information under the blog tab at portlandfoodadventures.com where you can contact Chris directly. Going back to, to cultural appropriation, I, I think a lot of people are kind of, um, kind of, uh, being very specific about it. You know, um, to understand the true definition, I mean, is it is it cultural appropriation? Are we talking about just blatant racism here? You know, that, that's what it is, because are, 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 is somebody being being just 
You mean that's what that's what you're really concerned about is the yeah, racism? It, it really is the racism at the end of the day because it's like, I mean, why are why are we tackling? You know, why are we worried about such small things when we just had a giant rally yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. All that shit going down. It's like, why are we why are we nitpicking about some certain things? I, I just think there are bigger topics that need that need to be addressed, and with with, with the same vigor. Well, you know what, you know one of the things that really annoyed me about that. Uh, about that blacklist was in that in the same edition of Willamette Week that um, the Kooks burrito thing came out. I had the second week in a row had put had gone around to like I don't know fifty or sixty Mexican restaurants. Basically, anybody who had uh, birria or barbacoa in in Portland area, I went around to them all, and then I made lists of the best ones and I put them out one week and then another week. And that was the second week of those articles almost no notoriety for those articles at all you know very few shares etc and meanwhile there's 1300 plus you know comments on the kooks burrito thing it's like they're so focused on something that's you know a pop-up on weekends making breakfast burritos with french fries inside um and you know they're very ready to tear that down but these people aren't as ready to promote you know the this, same. this other stuff that's great, Carla. What would you think would actually be meaningful? Say, um, say for a um, immigrant or poor um, restaurant owner who's running a uh, you know a a cuisine from a developing country. What do you think would actually make a difference for them? What would what would help them? What would take them to something to, that could be more successful? I, I think the biggest challenge, uh, the, the biggest thing, and a lot again, it's just so funny what what people will say to this, but I, I think the biggest challenge uh, when people are coming in with you know immigrant food or food from not from that people are used to, mm-hmm. is that they already come in with a chip on their shoulder. They feel like they did. They deserve something. They they feel like, oh, I'm an immigrant. I'm owed this. Well, what about like I said earlier? What about that one kid who grew up poor, who just worked himself? You know. But I mean, they they need to get over. Who's that they? Hurdle. Who are you talking about? Well, they, it, it, the 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 restaurant owners, the people mm-hmm. that, um, and I'm not saying everyone does this, but this is kind of the general what I've seen. Um, they need to get past the hurdle of of the negative portion uh, of 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 what's happening. Does that make sense? I, I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, but it's kind of coming you know coming in with a positive attitude. Be like, all right, I'm gonna make the best Ethiopian food that I can. I'm gonna make the best Filipino food that I can. I'm gonna try to do you know I'm gonna put this out there and I'm gonna go play the game, the same game that everybody else has to play. Which is how am I going to get customers? You know, am I at a disadvantage uh, if I don't have money? Absolutely. But then how am I going to do that? You know, I I when I first came in here, I I kind of had this situation where I was an unknown chef. Nobody knew who I was here in Portland. And what did I do? I basically vomited myself onto Portland. Like mm-hmm. I started doing events. I started really putting myself out there. I started talking to people. Well, that's something that that's one of those places though where you have an advantage. True. Uh, growing up in the United States. True. Is I mean that's not something. In fact. So here's um, so here's uh, a little bit um, of my perspective on this. So I actually um, about ten years ago went to um, uh, um, 
chef's table and actually suggested that, you know, they were doing all high-end places. I was like, you know, I have this dream of going and finding, um, you know, uh, small places that aren't really, that they're making really good food. My example is always Alinka out in Gresham. You know, it's this great Peruvian place, fantastic food, but it's in this crappy little strip mall. And, you know, it's just kind of downscale and everything. But I mean, to me, if that place was popped into central Portland with a nice decor and everything, it would be lines out the door every day. And, um, and so, you know, my idea was, why don't we take these, um, restaurants, work with them as partners and try to build them up. Basically a chef's table of, of small ethnic restaurants, taking these places and teaching them how to be successful restaurants in a mostly white urban hipstery yuppie environment. And I had actually done this in Dallas with a family. I'd helped them take um, this place that was basically a taqueria doing fish stuff. And now, you know, they've won like, you know, best restaurant and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And and so for me, my perspective is that it's more about, um, you know, capital. You know, I mean, if you're, a, if you're an immigrant family, the reason why Thai places all had the same menus before Andy Ricker came around wasn't because they couldn't make, you know, all these dishes that no one had heard of. I mean, they're making them for themselves in the back room. It's because their concern is not authenticity or making exactly their food. Their concern is paying for their kids' education, you know, keeping their car insurance, you know, having a house, you know, and stuff like that. Whereas Andy, you know, was coming from a very different perspective. He started with a car, you know, he was in a band, you know, it was kind of a second thing for him and stuff. So he had a little bit of an opportunity to be a little bit riskier when he went into it. This is true. And kind of going back to the the question that you had, it it becomes a community supportive thing. Because how many many places have you been to? Like how many places have I been to where walking into, you know, obviously going back to the Filipino restaurant where I've seen a lot of Filipinos walk into a Filipino restaurant and say this isn't Filipino and they never come back. I mean, you're already losing this kind of – you're a key demographic in in your success Mm -hmm. by just – just by again by that memory basis by this like if you're not being supported by your community then 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 you're you're, you're not gonna you're gonna have a harder time you know and and the truth of the matter is though those Filipinos even though you do lose people like that who will go in and go well this isn't how I remember it therefore I'm not going to come back it's even worse with with the average white hipster yeah. who mm-hmm. comes in and says and you know goes on it's yuck. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is kind of cool or whatever, but yeah. you know, really, they just want to have something familiar, and they're not yeah. opening their palate to these different flavors exactly. and trying to understand them before they just say they taste bad. Well, what about cultural education? You know, yeah. What about what about? And that's what we that's we do a lot of that through food, right? Yeah, we or, do. We do. We do that every day. So there's the opportunity. But well, again, it'd be yeah. nice to see though these activists, right? Focus more on the positive aspects than the negative aspects. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd, I'd be more than happy to sit down with these activists. And I've seen, I know, I know some of them. I know some of them. You know, personally, I'd be like, look, guys, you're, you're kind of, kind of going, going about the wrong way. Let's, let's, let's not instantly just like bully somebody into, into submission. It has to be an open conversation. Whether it's start small. 
through this podcast, which isn't so small, but like work your way up through a podcast, moving up toward toward government. And I know people have been fighting this fight for a very long time. And and like I want to be a part of that conversation. I want to. Hence why I'm open a Filipino restaurant partially is because because. It, it's not represented here, you know, and to be a voice for other Filipinos. But how many other Filipinos are now saying to themselves, like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? You know, and they'd say that no matter what. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that they may have to do. do with your personality. Maybe I'm just a prick. And, you know, let's, let, a lot of people say, you know, Nick, you're a very, uh, you, you have a lot of opinions. You're very outspoken. <laughs> A lot of people think you're a dick. I know you really well, and I don't, you know, I disagree with you. I've, I've often written you and said you're being a contrarian here. But I also think you're a very thoughtful, nice person, and people should listen, whether you reject yeah. what you say or you don't want to deal with it. Cause well, I, I, think, I think the problem is that I'm not a partisan. Like, people, people like people to either be um, all on their side yep. or all on the other side. It makes it easy for them, and I'm more kind of always trying to think through what the problems are in anything we say, even my own. And that's why I don't get offended when anybody like really attacks my opinion, because like to me, it makes me think more about it. Mm -hmm. And so to me, when, you know, I, I respect people more. I mean, um, when they can take it, when I can, cause I don't, I don't like call people names or anything like that. I'm just very aggressive in my argumentation. So I will, and you're good at it too, man. I you're... will go at their arguments and at their evidence. And you know, for me, it's making them think about it more fully. I mean, sometimes they're just like, fuck you. And yeah, <laughs> they uh-huh. unfollow me or whatever, well, but and, and they're responding with their memory <laughs> yeah, as opposed to, as opposed to in the moment and thinking about it. But that's the thing though, man, like, like I'm the same way as Nick. It's, it's because of being an outcast in the United States and being an outcast in the Philippines, in, in the Philippines, it, I grew up kind of on this, like, all right, what's the middle ground? What's what? How am I going to see both sides of the story? When there there's some things where I see the complete, you know, I'm like, all right, maybe that doesn't make sense. But like, but like the, the whole situation with these two young ladies, you know, I see both sides. I'm like, look, these two girls trying to make their thing, but they're kind of didn't do it in the right way. But then at the same time, they shouldn't have been bullied into submission. That that's not cool. Like death threats. Come on, people. It's like they're they're trying to make fucking burritos. You know, yeah, granted, like. They didn't go again. They, you know, the way that they 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 uh, express themselves probably wasn't the right way. But at the same time, it's like, why are we threatening these these young ladies' lives? Why are you, you know, why does it have to resort to name calling on both ends? And like, is that healthy? Is that really the larger picture? Is that what we're is. trying to get with anything? That's not the where we're trying to go. I also want to point out, uh, Court, in, um, you know, you work on KXL as well, and you had tried to get some folks from the. Yeah, one, one, once that list uh, went out, because if you've seen the list, there's there's two pages to it. There's two tabs, and one is kind of the explanation of the list and a, a link to a bunch of articles, and then the second page is the list, if I'm remembering right. And there's an email on there. doesn't identify who the maker of the list is, but you can reach out to them. And so KXL reached out to them, as well as one of our um, talk show hosts, and didn't get anything anything back, because it, 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 which was strange to me. It's just like you can't put this out there and then not be willing to kind of explain it because right, you call, you're calling out people personally telling people not to go uh to try to put those people out of business basically yeah and then you're unwilling to stand up for it publicly right. yeah. with your name yeah yeah and, and and then to have as nick pointed out there's there's such big contradictions through that explanation of how they put together that list of of 
if if you are a person of color, you can adopt a, a cuisine that's out of your culture, and that's okay because you're a person of color. But if you're white, you're it's it pretty much was very much. If, well, if you're white, you're out. And I think Willamette Week has tried to figure this out. And by the time this podcast comes out, we might actually know who's see, behind it. Know who's behind yeah. it. I just want to point the out side? the racism that it was the one brown guy who has to share his mic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And the redhead. Ginger pride. Ginger pride. <laughs> I, I just want to say, like, honestly... Work, work together. That's that's all I have to tell anybody is is work together to to make a better tomorrow for all of us. As as naive and as as Disney as that may sound, I mean, if we all work together to help each other understand, to help to help educate people on other cultures, whether you're from that culture or not, you know, just help each other. If in, instead of you know, argument A, argument B, I'm never gonna see the other side. Let's all try to make a conscious effort to continue to move forward to get past this stuff. Because right now we're taking steps back. The political climate doesn't help. And again, there's a much larger issue to cultural appropriation than just the food. Do you do you think that that is that the political climate is what is what it's helping? It, it definitely fuels the fire to this. Mm-hmm. To this, this is a. Re- I mean, uh, uh, cultural appropriation initially was was heard commonly throughout academia. Right through throughout, throughout the more intellectual uh, avenues. I'm not an intellectual yeah, well, person by any means, but um, but then you're only hearing about it now, um, with regards with regards to other things because of the political climate. Now, with that being said, people are now taking latching onto this uh, cultural appropriation, the term cultural appropriation, and applying that to to everything, right? To all these small things. Oh, you just you just made a tortilla by hand. You are culture appropriating. I'm brown. Doesn't matter. Oh, you're fine. You're brown. Okay, you're you're fine. Oh, you're white. No, that isn't culture. I mean, that 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 to me is partially racism, right? In 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 a way where you're like, oh, you're brown. You're okay. I, I've dude, I've encountered racism but, from my own people. It's like, I mean, can you even call that racism? But I I don't know. It's move forward, people. Just, and and yeah. in the in the links on the list to discuss this there were explanations as to why that isn't racism but you can read those and you can read the yeah, all that I mean, anyone sure. can read that and come to their own conclusions exactly. one way or the other um so yeah i just i just think that yeah the the current state of affairs in 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 our lovely country is definitely fueling um a lot of these things and and we have to be careful when it comes to when it comes to just throwing terminologies around I think people need to educate themselves more on what cultural appropriation is. I think people need to educate themselves more about what true racism is. I think people need to educate themselves more about the cultures that surround us, the communities, the reasons why they've been established, the reasons why, how we can help each other to further, like you said, like you did in Dallas. It's like for helping other people further themselves in this career so that they too can make a mark in their lives. I, I'm going to open a Filipino restaurant. I have the help of, of, of Nate Tilden. And and whoever else is will, willing to help me, but at the end of the day, it's going to be me. People are going to look at me and be like, "Oh, okay, you're doing it, fine." But are, are people going to lambast me for 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 asking asking a white guy for help? Well, That's the question. Not it's only like, that, okay, you, it's like okay, you you when had you'll to be work. making him money. Yeah, but also 
you had to work to get to Nate. And your goal wasn't, you didn't put him a, a picture of Nate Tilden on your refrigerator and say, I'm going to go. But you, you took these processes and worked hard to get to the point where Clyde Common wanted you. Yeah. And, and then you didn't say, hey, I'm going to go to Portland and meet Nate and we're going to build a restaurant empire together. No, I worked hard to prove yeah. myself to, to people. And it's not just Nate. It's, it's proving myself to myself and proving myself to, to the general public. Because if, you know, the, the minute that Filipino food started taking, taking, you know, taking a walk here in Portland was I, I wasn't the first. I definitely wasn't. I mean, there's there's places here in Portland that do it. I don't know. Two of the things that have come out of this, I've I've had a couple of conversations with uh, chefs of color, you know, um, through this whole thing. And, you know, one thing that, you know, I've come to strongly believe is I wish that these activists would actually go talk to chefs of color because, I mean, they're actually involved with this day to day. You know, they have ground level experience with this day to day. They're really thinking about it at a... Um, you know, at a fundamental level in a way that, you know, a lot of these activists are just using it as like top level power brokering, right? They just use it to, um, you know, uh, to build outrage, build their followers on Twitter, things like that a lot of times, or build power, build fundraising, etc. right? But these chefs are actually thinking about this all the time, and it's something that affects them personally, you know, and they have so much more depth to their knowledge on the subject than the activists do. And so I just wish they would actually go talk to chefs of color who are affected by this and, and get a deeper understanding because, you know, when I've talked to um, people like Carlo Han at um, yep. Kim Jong Grillin Anne at um, Tapalaya Earl at um, Padi and Hat Yai, you know, people like that, I mean, they have truly thoughtful ideas about this and much more complex and sophisticated, you know, um, ideas about it. So I wish the activists would actually talk to the chefs of color because they're way more thoughtful about it. So, as I said at the outset, we could only have so many people in this room. We did try to find uh, and court through KXL as well some opposing viewpoints. But, Nick, you've participated in lots of discussion on this. Yeah, I had a roundtable with Willamette Week um, that had uh, three chefs of color um, and me. And then, um, you know, this with Carlo, uh, chef of color. Um, You know, plenty of discussions online and personally. Um, I was supposed to be on Think Out Loud uh, with Dave Miller, you know, the OPB show. And, you know, last minute it got canceled because, um, you know, the people who are leading this charge just aren't willing to even discuss it really publicly, which is you know frustrating. It's like you believe so strongly about this, but you won't have an actual dialogue about it. Um, and so I can imagine that some people will say, well, Willamette Week or uh, your podcast didn't really find someone who's you know uh, a strongly opposed to cultural appropriation, but I don't know they're not willing to talk about it. So, <laughs> well, even, uh, Soleil Hull at uh, racist sandwich, which is a podcast. Uh, she was supposed to be like the backup plan for that show rather than one of the people who had created the list and, and she backed out too. So I don't know, you know, I don't know what's going on, but, um, and she is, uh, basically incommunicado on, uh, on social media with me too, you know, and I think is I've that asked just you? her, 
I mean, she didn't. She didn't block me. But I've, I've, uh, you know, asked some, uh, I think, legitimate questions, and she hasn't responded whatsoever on social media to me. Um, so I don't know. I think they. It seems like to me they like to, uh, you know, talk to each other, but it's really preaching to the choir, and they're not willing to entertain any outside voices. Well, that's the thing. I think. I think again, uh, going back to that piece, is it really is an educational process, and being so aggressive about it. You know, the the minute you stop yelling at somebody is the minute that they're going to start listening. You know, so I, I think that you know, and I wholeheartedly encourage people who are well more educated in this in this realm, this this kind of um, uh, issue than, than than myself. Again, I'm 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 but a cook, you know. <laughs> but, but what am I going to do? Is but you're I'm, living this yeah, issue. I'm going to tell I'm going to tell tell them how it is, and. I don't know if they're going to, I don't know if they're going to, ex- but the thing is like, I don't know if they're going to accept that answer. Does that make sense? Or it's like, just because I don't fall within the the very exact same um, ideologies that, that that person, you know, is spouting, then you're going to be excommunicated because, oh, you're not, you're, maybe you're not Filipino enough. Maybe you're not brown enough. Well, and maybe I did hear care. about that on uh, Facebook. Uh, some people were like uh, standing up saying, hey, this yeah. seems wrong, et cetera. And they were getting kicked out of these private Facebook groups. Yeah. And these were people of color that were getting kicked out of these private Facebook groups because they didn't, you know, buy the party line on this issue of cultural appropriation. And in my opinion, in this political climate, the best we can do is listen and talk mm-hmm. and have a dialogue about things. Yeah. Fighting about it isn't going to get us anywhere. Yeah, so, I, I think that uh, being like Trump, no matter if you're if you're uh, on the other side of the line or on Trump's side of the line, is not a good example to follow. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. I, I don't necessarily know that there's an immediate solution. I know there's not a, an immediate solution. Right. But in order to get somewhere productive, it's got to be positive discussion mm-hmm. and not necessarily negative. That ends it. It gets people walking away from the table. And if we've seen anything, it's when people can actually understand each other um, and care about each other. Yeah. Then we can make some progress. Well, so I, I think I think Carlo and Nick both offered some some genuine ways to approach approach this you know whether we whether you're in the food community or if you're like me and you just like to go out to eat yes and that's where that's where i am and as i pointed out in the podcast um i so many so many excellent experiences and so much some not deep cultural understanding has occurred Mm -hmm. through eating but it, to me, it would be a shame if I didn't learn things through some of the things that I've been able to eat here in Portland that, and we're so privileged to be able to uh, enjoy. Right. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right